0: A reading from the first book of Samuel. Hannah rose after a meal at Shiloh and presented herself before the Lord. At the time, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair near the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In her bitterness, she prayed to the Lord, weeping copiously, and she made a vow promising, O Lord of hosts, if you look with pity on the misery of your handmaid, If you remember me and do not forget me, if you give your handmaid a male child, I will give him to the Lord for as long as he lives. Neither wine nor liquor shall he drink, and no razor shall ever touch his head. As she remained long at prayer before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth, for Hannah was praying silently. Though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli, thinking her drunk, said to her, how long will you make a drunken show of yourself, sober up from your wine? It isn't that, my lord, Hannah answered. I am an unhappy woman. I have had neither wine nor liquor. I was only pouring out my troubles to the Lord. Do not think your handmaid a 'er ne'er-do-well. My prayer has been prompted by my deep sorrow and misery. Eli said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She replied, Think kindly of your maidservant, and left. She went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and no longer appeared downcast. Early the next morning they worshipped before the Lord, and then returned to their home in Ramah. Well, when Nkana had relations with his wife Hannah, The Lord remembered her. She conceived, and at the end of her term bore a son, whom she called Samuel, since she had asked the Lord for him. The word of the Lord My heart exalts in the the Lord, my Savior. My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted by my God. I have swallowed up my enemies. I rejoice in my victory. My heart is the Lord, my Savior. The bows of the mighty are broken, while the tottering gird on strength. The well-fed hire themselves out for bread, while the hungry batten on spoil. The barren wife bears seven sons, while the mother of many languishes. The Lord puts to death and gives life. He casts down to the netherworld. He raises up again. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He humbles, he also exalts. My heart, my heart exalts to the Lord, my Savior. He raises the needy from the dust. From the dung heap he lifts up the poor to seat them with nobles and make a glorious throne their heritage.
1: Jesus came to Capernaum with his followers, and on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. <laughs> In our first reading today, Hannah, in her deep sorrow and misery, trusts in the authority of Almighty God. He trusts, she trusts God to intervene in her life. Hannah needs healing, we could say, huh? And she acknowledges this fact and turns to God in her supplication, her prayer, and her compunction of heart, her compunctio, her sincere sorrow of heart, she turns to God. Our God raises the needy from the dust and lifts up the lowly, as our responsorial psalm tells us today. And it is this same divine authority that that Hannah turns to in our first reading, and also which the responsorial psalm talks about from Samuel. It's this same divine authority and healing power of God that is present in Jesus Christ, that empowers him to cast out demons and teach us the way to salvation. It's the same authority. It's the same exact divine authority. You know, yesterday was the feast day of the baptism of the Lord, and I mentioned at the beginning of the homily that my hope this week, with these six homilies Monday through Saturday, While I'm here filling in for the Franciscan friars who are on their annual canonical retreat this week, 45 minutes north at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville and we remember them in our prayers for a spiritually rewarding retreat as well as their retreat master, Father Joseph Tuscan. I said yesterday that I hope to make these six homilies Monday through Saturday inclusive this week like a little mini retreat titled The Healing Power of Jesus. The Healing Power of Jesus. Yesterday was Jesus' baptism, and I titled yesterday's homily, Jesus' baptism, His public ministry begins, right? Because it's an epiphany, uh, an appearing, a manifestation of His public adult life. And now His baptism leads into His three years of public ministry, which begins with His healings, specifically with the casting out of an unclean spirit. So today's second homily is titled Jesus' Healing Powers and Miracles, and tomorrow we'll see even more kinds of miracles, for example, physical healings in the gospel. But today we talk about Jesus' healing powers and miracles in in general, but the casting out of an unclean spirit in particular. And it's the same divine authority, again, that Almighty God has to heal, to heal, to also cast out unclean spirits and also to heal emotionally as well as physically, we could say. Huh? Pope St. Leo the Great tying in the sacrament of baptism with a virtuous life as opposed to a sinful life, which the devil loves, Okay, says this, Pope St. Leo the Great, through the sacrament of baptism, you have now become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Do not drive away so great a guest by evil conduct and become again a slave to the devil, for your liberty was bought by the blood of Christ. Very telling quote from this former pope, huh? And St. Gregory of Nazianzus, early church bishop, who I quoted also yesterday, says this, tying in the sacrament of baptism, specifically Christ's baptism, with our own, but also on the importance of leading a virtuous life as opposed to an evil life, he says, today let us do honor to Christ's baptism and celebrate this feast in holiness. Be cleansed entirely and continue to be cleansed in your own life. Nothing gives such pleasure to God as the conversion and salvation of all, for whom his every word and every revelation exists. He wants you to become a living force for all of mankind. He wants you to become lights shining in the world. You are to be radiant lights as you stand beside Christ, the great light himself, bathed in the glory of him who is the light of heaven. But here's the thing. If we're not healed, emotionally especially, we can't be that light that our own baptism, rooted in Christ's baptism, calls us to be, right? Right? So healing is very important, and we call on this divine authority to heal us. So what does Jesus heal? Well, I've already mentioned a few categories, uh, physical healings, for example, uh, emotional healings, but here's just a short list. He heals the sickness of sin, both personal and social sin. You know, the Catechism is very clear that veritable structures of sin in society, certain things, let's say, passed by the courts that are immoral, it all stems eventually, if you go back far enough, to individual personal sin. That's where the veritable structures of societal sin come from, is first and foremost from personal sin. So Jesus has the power to heal the sickness of sin, both personal and social. He can, by his divine authority as the second person of the blessed Trinity, God himself, turn things around according to His most holy will. He heals hopelessness. He heals loneliness. He heals emotional wounds, as I've said. He can heal physical ailments, illnesses, and the like. He can also heal that which is broken, for example, relationships. He can heal our relationship with God. He can heal our relationship with others. And He can even heal our relationship with ourselves. There's a lot of people who don't love themselves. They're wounded internally. Why does Jesus heal? Now, this is a different question. I just answered what he heals and gave you a few categories, which is by no means an exhaustive list. But why does he heal? Well, again, several reasons, not an exhaustive list. He heals to reveal his compassion for humanity. In Mark 1.41, we read this. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched the leper and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. That will be this Thursday's gospel, three days from today, counting today, when the leper approaches Jesus and says, Master, if you will it, you can make me clean. I do will it, be made clean. So to show his compassion for humanity, (laughs) number two, He does it to reveal his Father's glory. That's why he heals. We read in Matthew 15, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the maimed, the blind, the mute, and many others who were ill. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the throng of people wondered when they saw the mute speaking, and the maimed made whole, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And so they glorified the God of Israel. So to show forth the Father's glory, because these curings lead to the people, the crowds, the throngs, proclaiming God's glory. Jesus heals to prove his mission is authentic and real. That's a third reason. We read in John 10, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, at least believe in the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So he heals to prove his mission, and that his mission is tied to the Father. Number four, Jesus heals to destroy the works of the devil, something we see specifically in today's gospel, right after his baptism. It's the first miracle he performs right after his epiphany, his manifestation, his appearing as an adult at his baptism with John the Baptist at the Jordan River, amongst others. Remember I said yesterday... He he wanted to be baptized amongst others. He wanted others to witness this so that he could set the example for all of us. He heals to destroy the works of the devil. In Acts 10, 38, we read this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. St. Gregory of Nyssa, another early church bishop, He says this from his book on Christian formation, the formation of the Christian. He says, Whoever is in Christ is now a new creation. The old has passed away. Now, by the new creation, St. Paul means the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in a heart that is pure and blameless, free of all malice, wickedness, and shamefulness. For when a soul has come to hate sin and has delivered itself as far as it can to the power of virtue by leaving sin, it undergoes a beautiful transformation by receiving the grace of the Spirit. Then it is healed, restored, and made wholly new. Indeed, the two texts purge out the old leaven that you may now be a new one, and let us celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8. Support these passages which speak about the new creation, St. Gregory of Nyssa says. You know, there's a beautiful uh, quote in the Universal Catechism. It's number 1803. It gives us the definition of virtue. I've said this here before during a televised homily. It's one of my favorite, favorite paragraphs in the Catechism. Look it up. That's your homework assignment. Number 1803 gives us the, the definition of virtue and virtuous living. It says that virtue and virtuous living is pursuit of the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions with all five of the bodily senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing, and the four primary faculties of the soul, intellect, will, memory, and imagination, giving the triune Godhead, the blessed Trinity, all nine of these beautiful gifts of the body-soul composite, right, and striving to pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful in concrete daily actions. You know, should I buy this? Should I not buy this? Should I go see this movie? Should I not go see this movie? And then this is how virtue develops habitually. Well, at the end of 1803, St. Gregory of Nyssa gives us this short quote. He says this, the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. Quote, end quote. That's phenomenal. The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. Wow. Not to become God. That would be a heresy. (laughs) The goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. How beautiful is that? And that's what he's telling us here about the new leaven. Okay, I was thrilled when I came across this quote from him yesterday, striving to be the new leaven through our healing, whatever kind of healing it might be, okay, according to God's most holy will, if the healing is conducive to our salvation, right? Okay, God knows best, okay, thy will be done, not my will be done. That said, we can always ask for healing, especially emotional healing, because that can be sometimes worse than than a physical ailment, because the person just can't move forward. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Solid in your faith. We read that every week in Compline on Tuesday night. Stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Solid in your faith. Why do I say this quote? Because the devil hates healing. He can't stand it. Healing is always uh, permitted by God if it's conducive to the person's salvation. And the devil doesn't want people to be saved, right? He doesn't like healings. You know, Father Mike Driscoll, in his wonderful book, Demons, Deliverance, and Discernment, Separating Fact from Fiction About the Spirit World, tells us that there's three primary ways that exorcists are in agreement that people become possessed by demons, or at least oppressed. Okay, he says this, exorcists generally identify three categories of activities and experiences that open a person to demonic possession. We can think of these categories as doors for demonic attacks on the person. They invite demons in, but they do not always result in an actual demonic possession. There is also demonic oppression and demonic obsession. There's also just hanging on to the sin, right? And not removing yourself from the sin, which happens to be door number one, he tells us. So what are the three categories of activity that can open a person to demonic possession that most exorcists are in agreement upon? Patterns of sin that are not left, that are not departed from, patterns of sin, the occult, and being a victim of trauma. Now that last one kind of sounds harsh because the person's a victim after all, it's not their fault. Well, it's a question of healing though. It's a question of healing, however. Are they healed from that trauma? And we'll get to that in a moment. But patterns of sins, the occult and occultic activity, and being a victim of trauma. Father Mike Driscoll tells us this, the first category is referred to as patterns of sin. This does not mean simply being a sinner, since all of us are sinners. Rather, this refers to people who have a habit of serious sin that they like, are attracted to, and have no desire or intention of stopping. That is, what is objectively and subjectively a mortal sin. In other words, there is a conscious decision to give oneself over to the serious grave sin. Demons can see this as an invitation to their activity, in the person's life. Number two, the second category of influences that invite demons into one's life is the occult and occultic activity, that is occultic activity and practices. Father Driscoll says, occult practices include such things as Satanism, the use of tarot cards and the Ouija board and the consulting of psychics and mediums. This also includes necromancy, the attempt to consult with spirits of the dead for the sake of learning hidden knowledge or future events And I might add, to try to control future events. The devil loves when a person seeks out those types of things, huh? And then thirdly, being a victim of trauma or abuse is a third category of experience that can open the door to demonic possession. For example, the trauma may be witnessing a murder, a suicide, or a horrific accident. The abuse may be sexual, physical, or psychological. One exorcist explains that those who go through these experiences can end up living in the dark emotions of anger, rage, resentment, and revenge. He stressed the importance of such victims getting the psychological and spiritual help that they need in order to have some degree of healing. The healing needs to take place. If such people do not get the psychological and spiritual help and healing that they need, Those emotions can weaken their relationship with God and simultaneously be an opening to a relationship with evil spirits, either through direct possession, oppression, obsession, or just bad influences in general, okay? These doors are no guarantee at all to a direct possession, clearly, but the doors are there, and so we wanna be watchful, especially because of our baptism. Our baptism and confirmation, sustained by regular Eucharist and reconciliation confession, call us to be vigilant. Again, 1 Peter 5, stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Solid in your faith. Amen to that. So, no doubt that third category, our heart goes out to them. They're victims. Okay, and victims are not at fault. But if the healing is not there in the victim, then it can become a door to evil influences. That's what Father Driscoll is telling us in his book. Again, Father Mike Driscoll, demons, deliverance, and discernment, separating fact from fiction about the spirit world. I close with these two quotes, James four, verses seven, eight, and 10. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will take flight. Draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. And Romans 12, 9 through 12, detest what is evil, cling to what is good, love one another with the affection of brothers and sisters, anticipate each other in showing respect, do not grow slack, but be fervent in spirit, he whom you serve is the Lord, therefore rejoice in hope, be patient under trial, and persevere in prayer. Amen. So, Jesus' first public miracle in Mark, immediately after his baptism, which inaugurates his three years of public ministry, is the casting out of an unclean spirit. Tomorrow's homily, following the baptism and today's healing powers and miracles of Jesus, is, quote, The healing continues. What can I give to Jesus? The healing continues. What can I give to Jesus to continue to be healed in my own life? Very important point as we continue our mini-retreat this week on the healing power of Jesus. God bless you.